This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue on in James with Let Him Ask God, Temptation's Path, The Implanted Word, No Partiality, and The Royal Law. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther depicts warfare between Christ and the devil. And as we go into the first Sunday in Lent, we get to see that actually take place in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus and the devil actually have conversations with one another. The devil is clever. He quotes scripture, but so does the author of scripture, Jesus himself. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Monday afternoon, February the 12th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Will Whedon. Then in hour two, it's the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer will join us to talk about the baptism and temptation of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Will Whedon is an assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. A joy to be with you. We've spent several weeks in these conversations preparing for Lent. It was pre-Lent, kind of on your way to Lent. Mm-hmm. But what is this season itself? It's short. It's always just those 40 days. What is it about? Well, you need to remember that in the church's mind, Lent originally is, well, for Christian newbies. So people who were just being introduced to the faith. And Lent in its readings then is designed to be a boot camp in Christian basics. And the church, in her wisdom, realizes, you know, we need to invite all the children of the church to come back and do the basics again at least once a year. That's what Lent tries to get us to do. And odd as it may seem, the first thing which the church does for the newbies and therefore also for the oldies is to introduce them to the fact that they've got a deadly enemy who is set on their destruction, but who likes to parade around like their best buddy, a good friend. Satan figures big on the first and the third Sundays in Lent, and his sly devices, of which we are not ignorant, will be exposed in these readings so that the children of God can be aware of how Satan is maneuvering them. So 
as we walk through the, these coming Sundays of Lent, how does it progress? Just a little preview, if you would. Well, the first Sunday is, you got an enemy that likes to parade around like a friend. The second Sunday is the inverse. And sometimes your dearest and best friend in all the world, that is God, can come across to you as an enemy. Very important lesson on that second Sunday in Lent. The third Sunday in Lent stresses as we move into it that there needs to be a place in our lives for the hearing and retaining of the Word of God because this is what shows the enemy the door in the first place, and this is what keeps him out of our lives. And then the fourth Sunday in Lent, a Sunday of refreshment, will deal with the Jesus giving himself to us as the living bread that came down from heaven. It's John 6, but uh, you know all of the, the back part of John 6 is sort of implied in that first story, the feeding of the 5,000. And then the if you side with Jesus, you're going to have trouble in this world. That's sort of the burden of the fifth Sunday of Lent. And uh, the sixth Sunday of Lent is preparing us for uh, Palm Sunday and Holy Week and all that follows from that. That brings us to the intro for the first Sunday that also gives us its name, Imbokabit, which is Psalm 91, which figures very prominently this coming Sunday. Yeah, isn't it kind of weird, though, that we let Satan set the psalm for the, the first Sunday of Lent? It's because... This psalm is used in the gospel reading that it is uh, assigned to the intro. But notice that Satan sort of leaves part of it out and misquotes it. But when Jesus quotes the word of God, he just lets the word do its own thing. This is part of the scriptures that are very comforting. So the, this, the intro, if you will, provides the context for the misquote that Satan provides in the gospel reading. So the antiphon is from Psalm 91, verse 15a and c and verse 16. When he calls to me, that's the invocabit, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'm going to rescue him. And then Psalm 91, uh, verse 1, is the actual only verse of the historic uh, intro for the day. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. But Uh, In our modern one, it goes on, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We heard a mighty fortress earlier. Keep that in mind. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And both lion and and Adder, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And of course, he appears in the first option for the Old Testament reading as a snake. So both pictures of treading on Satan, you're going to actually not be conquered by him. You are going to be able to conquer him. And this is what the Son of God does for us in the gospel reading for the day. Then on glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. And in the unshaken peace of that glorification of God, the antiphon repeats, he'll call to me, I'm going to answer him, I will rescue him, and I will honor him with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. A clear reference to Jesus. Is it some kind of divine irony? Because Luther reminds us that the devil is God's devil. No matter what the devil thinks he is, he's still a creature of God. Mm-hmm. No matter how rebellious and destined for eternal punishment, he's still a creature of God. Is it a divine irony that Satan chooses to quote 
the very psalm that if he would have read the rest of it, tells him how this story is going to end. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it is a beautiful piece of divine irony. And, and, and so many times we see this, that oft evil will evil mar. We see this with Satan. He ends up hurting himself by his own plans, and yet God is overturning all things in his wisdom. And certainly this psalm is, is of a piece with that. All he's thinking about is snaring Christ into doing something foolish, and he doesn't bother to read what the rest of the psalm promises. It tells us something about, not so much about Satan himself, but about the way he goes about things, that his goal is to deceive. Even arrogantly, he thinks he can deceive Christ. Yeah, yeah. But he, in the end, is self-deceived. Yes. Beyond shadow of doubt, the, 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 the great tragic irony of Satan is that he does not at all see the way that he has bought. He's bought his own lies. And because of that, he is simply unable to see what's true. And the Word of God is what's true, and it's beautifully taught throughout this entire uh, set of readings. What do we find in the Collect for the first Sunday in Lent? Well, let me give you the traditional Collect first. It's a little different. O Lord, mercifully hear our prayers and stretch forth the right hand of your majesty to defend us from them that rise up against us. Now, I think it's sad that we kind of lost that because that's a prayer for defense against the demons who are rising up against us to lead us away. So the big prayer on the first Sunday in Lent is that God would protect us from Satan and his forces who are out to destroy us. The modern collect, the one that's in LSB, picks up on the idea of a people on pilgrimage, that Lent is the journey home. And so, O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. It ties in nicely to the first option for the Old Testament reading in a way that uh, we are a people in exile. But at the same time, I just think that that hard-hitting traditional collect uh, nails it when it just says, Oh, Lord, defend us from those who rise up against us, because they rise up against us on every hand, Satan and his evil demons. That brings us to the first of two possible Old Testament readings, the one you mentioned a moment ago, the account of the temptation in the garden. Yeah. So Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man 
and his wife hid him themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Wow, so much to uh, unpack in that reading. We're not going to have time to do all of it, but just notice a few things here. Satan starts out by attacking a word of God. God had told them not to eat of it. He begins by saying, did he really say you can't eat of anything? Well, he knows that's a falsification, but he's trying by the question to paint God as stingy, as someone who's holding out on them. And once that seed of doubt has been planted, he goes further to just flat out contradict the word of God. God had said, the day you eat of it, you will die. And he says, you're not surely going to die. It's not a certain thing that you'll die. Instead, what's going to happen is you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. And to be like God in that sense was really true. They literally bumped God out of his place in their minds, in their hearts. In their, they, they took the throne that belongs to him alone. And all of a sudden, they realize good and evil. They realize God is good and we are evil. And when, when you look at the, the passing of the buck thing that, that just runs on here from, from Adam immediately, I mean, who does Adam blame? Is it really, it's hard to tell. The woman that you gave me, she gave me. It's like, it's your fault or it's her fault, but it's not my fault. That's running through there. Instead of just saying, yes, I, I did what you told me not to do. And then, of course, the woman has no one left to blame but the serpent, which she proceeds to do. Then God's first, the first gospel spoken to the serpent, right? You're cursed. You're going to uh, crawl on the dust. You're, you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. Back to that in a second. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, because there's not enmity now. You guys have become allies. 
And the only way there's going to be enmity between humanity and Satan is if I put the enmity there, which he promises that he will do, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Adam, of course, has the ground cursed because of him and all because it says you listen to your wife instead of listening to me. I gave you a clear word of God and you turned from it. And so thorns and thistles the earth brings forth and he eats the plants of the field by the sweat of his face until he returns to the dust because out of it he was taken. Remember, dust will be the serpent's food and now it says you will eat dust and to dust, Adam, you will return. You are dust and to dust you will return. You can almost see Satan licking his chops as he looks over at Adam here. And Satan indeed then, you know, he primarily preys, if you will, on the human race. He goes after Adam and Eve and all their children. And yet God does not forsake them. In the middle of all this, God provides them garments and this beautiful promise back in uh, verse 15 that he will indeed send a savior. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary on the other side of the break. There's an alternate Old Testament reading in 1 Samuel 17. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you're visiting Frankenmuth, Michigan, come to Emanuel Lutheran Church in nearby Frankentrost. A hearty band of German missionaries founded Emanuel Frankentrost in the wilderness near Saginaw. At Emanuel, you can still hear the law and gospel in a beautiful liturgical service, just like those first settlers. For directions and divine service times, visit frankentrost.org. That's F-R-A-N-K-E-N-T-R-O-S-T dot org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent. One quick thought on that Genesis account, because it's so profound. It is, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how profound it is, that everything God says to the man and the woman after their fall is he just questions them. Mm-hmm. It's, where are you? Who told you you were naked? It is, what is this you have done? But when he gets to Satan, there are, he, there's no interrogation. He just curses him. It's a very compassionate approach. And God seems, the interrogation is not to get information. It's to get a confession. Yes. That's the key, right? He's giving them the opportunity to make a confession. Would the whole course of history have been different if they had owned up to their sin? You know, wow, it's a fascinating question. But with what happened there, he, he definitely showed his compassion and love for humanity in the way he spoke to them, in the way he dealt with them. And then he very clearly declared his unbroken enmity here against Satan. He was already cursed before this, this event ever happened. The alternate reading is First uh, Samuel 17, beginning at verse 40. What's it doing there? Okay. If you remember last week, there was an alternate reading. And if you did that alternate reading of David being anointed in the midst of his brothers, this would be then the logical reading to continue with. First Samuel 17 is, of course, David attacking Goliath. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook. Five. Think about that and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took out his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistine saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So David, of course, the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's here doing the anointed of the Lord thing. Five stones. 
reminds us of the five books of Moses in which the battle is going to be waged by the Lord Jesus against Satan in the gospel reading. He's going to pull from the books of Moses the stones that he's going to sling at the great Goliath, Satan, to fell him. So it's a powerful prototypical portrayal of the battle that takes place in the gospel reading for the day. What is the gradual, and then we'll talk about the psalm. Yeah, actually, psalms gradual is Psalm 91 again, back to that same psalm. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all their ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the passage which Satan almost quotes. He leaves out in all your ways. Dr. Luther finds great significance to that in his sermons for Lent 1. He finds that by leaving out in your ways, he's suggesting that you can do whatever you want to, and this same promise will apply. But Luther suggests, no, 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 no. The promise is given to you as you go in your way, doing your vocation, fulfilling the calling that God himself has given you. Beautiful little verses from the gradual. And you said Psalms. We have either 32 or 118. Yeah. I don't know why there are so many options this day. The the characteristic of the one-year lectionary overall is that it is not filled with these options. But this Sunday, there, there, there are a few. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice the very thing Adam and Eve did not do. That's what David in the psalm says he will do. He will make confession of his sins to the Lord and receive God's forgiveness. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found Surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's the antiphon for the psalm, so repeat it before and after. And in this verse, you see David himself sort of standing there before Goliath and yet not being afraid because he knows he's waging his battle in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or they will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And boy, David, standing there against Goliath, was one trusting in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The other psalm from Psalm 118 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. And then here's the antiphon. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Again, thinking of that encounter of David and Goliath, he calls upon the Lord as he is going out, and in the name of the Lord, he achieves this great victory. The Lord's on my side. I'm not going to be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I will look and triumph on those who hate me. 
better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. The name of the Lord. That's exactly what David said as he went out against Goliath. They surrounded me like bees. They were like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Beautiful. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to the first Sunday in Lent and the gospel reading in Matthew 4 of the temptation of Jesus, according to the one-year lectionary. can support the worldwide outreach of issues etc by purchasing a cell phone case from crossway crossweh.com slash lpr you'll find cell phone cases for issues etc lutheran public radio the word of the lord endures forever and luther's seal with the reformation solas crossweh.com slash lpr a percentage of your purchase will support issues etc Cross weh.com slash LPR. Theology has consequences. It doesn't live just in ivory towers, but actually in the very choices and daily lives of God's people as they live out what they believe and confess in the world. To learn more about how theology affects our daily lives, this February issue of The Lutheran Witness discusses how the theology of Seminex affected the very lives of God's people in the LCMS and how God worked to preserve his church. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Where is God's mission? God's mission is everywhere. Yes, it's far away, but it's also very near. It's as near as your congregation in school, your neighborhood, your family and friends, even as near as your home. Wherever you are, God's mission is in that place. Through his mission, Christ is bringing forgiveness, life, and salvation to people everywhere, even here, right where you are. God's Mission Here. Learn more at lcms.org slash national mission. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For sinners only. You're listening to Issues Etc. Two different religions. This is Ken Ham, author of Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. Many Christians try to add evolution into the Bible by saying that God created, but he used evolution over millions of years to do it. But really, this is mixing two different religions together. You see, evolutionary ideas came out of atheism and deism. It's an attempt to explain life without God. But the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God, and then goes on to describe God creating everything by the power of his word. The two histories, creation and evolution, couldn't be more different. Instead of trying to mix two religions, let's start with the eyewitness account of history given by God in His Word. 
There's so much more to learn when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be encouraged with truth when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to the first Sunday in Lent according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Prayerfully Consider Visit is March 14th through the 16th at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. During these three days, visitors will attend classes, talk with current students, meet the faculty, spend time with an admission counselor, and worship at Kramer Chapel. Learn more about Prayerfully Consider Visit at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Well, we come now to the first of two possible epistle readings, and that would be 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 10. And that is the traditional epistle reading for the day. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying And behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. 2 Corinthians is one of Paul's most emotional letters, and he clearly is very emotional as he writes this, this section. He begs them, Don't receive God's grace in vain. Think about that message for Christian newbies. Don't be receiving the grace of God in vain. When God gives you this new life in Jesus, it is for you to live as his people and to accept and receive now because now's the day of salvation. Don't you be thinking about putting it off till tomorrow. Accept the grace of God this very day by the power of his spirit. And Paul then goes on to speak about what the Christian life, as he experienced it, entails. And he lists out all these things that can happen to you. He talks about, you know, his great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities. He goes through that whole laundry list of all the bad stuff and the good stuff that come along. And through it all, he's a soldier. He's got weapons with the right hand on the left. He's got weapons for the warfare, and he knows how to endure it all. People call him false. They say that the message he's spreading is not true, but he knows it is true, and he's not ashamed of that. And they keep trying to kill him, but he keeps on going on living as long as God wants him to. 
And as he experiences all of this uh, mixture of sorrow and rejoicing, um, being poor, yet actually making all people rich by the good news that he brings, and as actually owning nothing, having nothing, but being an heir in Christ of everything, he's trying to teach us what it means to live the life of Christ in this world. Dr. Luther had some really beautiful thoughts on not making crosses of our own choosing. You know what I mean by that? Like deciding today, this is what I'm giving up for Lent. This is what I'm fasting on today. You know, you, we make these crosses of our own choosing. And he says, instead of that, why don't you not grumble under the crosses that God sees fit to give you in your marriage, in your congregation, at work, with your next door neighbor, whatever it is. God will give you opportunities for you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him in those vocations. And when Paul pleads with the newbies not to receive the grace in vain, he's like, so whatever you're facing in your life, don't give up because God himself is putting you through that ringer with Jesus. He is crucifying you with his son that you might find your life in him and not in yourself, not in doing your own will, but in the joy of doing his will. That's the path Paul walked. The other is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Yeah, and that, of course, is like a perfect selection to match the gospel reading for the day. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think this passage teaches us so beautifully that supremely important point, that Jesus is the only one who has experienced temptations all the way through to the end. When we have our temptations over and over again, sooner or later we cave, we fall. And that means you didn't actually experience the full strength of the temptation. The temptation grows stronger the longer it is resisted. And and that means that only Jesus knew them all the way through. He knew everything that his people go through. He knew it beyond anything we ourselves ever experience. And because of that, he is indeed a mercy seat. He's a throne of grace to which we can fly in every time of temptation and every time of trial. Whenever we think we just can't, you know, we know we're we're ready to fall, we can call upon him and turn to him and he will be there to strengthen us and to keep us steadfast and true. Um, he, he stands ready. He has stood under every test we'll ever face. He stood it all the way through to the bitter end. The tract, the, our little feature here during Lent, takes us back into Psalm 91. Yeah, it's sort of a recap of what we've already seen from Psalm 91, but preparing us to hear the gospel reading for the day. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. 
With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. If you put that, if you think of those words applying to Jesus as he experiences the temptations in the uh, wilderness, they really shine. And we will talk about that temptation in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, as we get into the gospel reading for the first Sunday in Lent with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Lutheran talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Christ centered, cross focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent. We are now arrived at the gospel reading we've been talking about and headed toward Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Yeah, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then 
the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, a couple things to note at the beginning. Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What just came right before this account, if you're reading straight through Matthew's gospel, it was the baptism of Jesus. And remember what happened at the baptism of Jesus. The Father proclaims, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so the big question as Jesus is led up into the wilderness is, is this true? Is is this really the Son of God? Did God just speak the truth to him or not? And Satan, by saying, if you are the Son of God, is trying to insinuate doubt in Christ about who he really is. Again, Dr. Luther has it. It's very kind of comical the way he unpacks this in his sermons. He's, he's like, Satan says something like, well, fine son of God you are, and the whole world can see how much your heavenly father loves you, leads you out here to um, you, without a, a bite to eat. Here, here's some stones. Try munching on those to see how much your heavenly father loves you. The kind of attitude of Satan as he's trying to tempt the Lord Jesus to do some miracle that will actually be a benefit to him. And Jesus steadfastly refuses this. In every instance, Jesus literally, I mean, he could use his divine power to chase Satan away. He doesn't do that. He takes hold of the written word three times. And three times, with nothing but the word of God, he defeats the devil. He throws the word back in the devil's teeth. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. But his answer is, it is written, that man is not going to live by bread only. What man lives by is the word that comes out of God's mouth. Now, of course, think of Jesus is the eternal word of the Father, of course. But he knows that human beings live from God's own word. His word brought this entire world into being. And his word then that comes to us in the scriptures is what sustains us. Our faith in him sustains our life in him. And so he just simply refuses to serve himself by making the stone become bread for him to eat, even though he's hungry. And the fact that he's, when it says 40 days, 40 nights, and he was hungry, well, yes, you, you better believe it. It reminds me of something that uh, Luther wrote in the large catechism. When Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, Luther says this, listen, 
Lead us not into temptation means the times when God gives power and strength to resist the temptation. However, the temptation is not taken away or removed. I've been thinking about that all week long, that God leaves you in the temptation with its great power, and it's not taken away. But that's where he shows his power. He shows his power when instead of removing the temptation, he gives you his grace to endure. This is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians when he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. In our weakness, the power of God manifests itself. I suggested when we looked at that epistle a few weeks ago that perhaps Paul was mentioning struggling with besetting sins that just kept on afflicting him. And instead of having it taken away, he was basically told, no, you just keep on struggling along and I will give you the grace that you need. My grace is all you need. Now, the second temptation, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and basically bids him do a publicity stunt, right? Jump down from the top of the temple because God has promised in his word, it is written. And here he quotes this 91st Psalm that we've been rejoicing in throughout the entire service. He will give his angels charge over you and on their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone, leaving out that part about guard you in all your ways. Jesus' answer though is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I can't remember if it was... uh, Wolfmuller or Fisk, one of them, I heard do this, where he said, do you think that uh, Jesus was saying, hey, 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 you, Satan, are putting me to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I am the Lord your God. What are you doing? Don't try to test me. That's a beautiful thought on that particular verse. But again, Jesus just answers with a direct word from Deuteronomy. You're not going to do this. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, the devil takes him onto this very high mountain. And he shows him in a moment of time, the kingdoms of the entire world with all of their glory. And he says to him, look, I'll just give it to you. I'll give it to you. Understand here, running in the background is, you don't have to do that cross thing. You don't have to go that way. Look, I'll give all this to you. All you need to do is get down on your knees and plant your face in the dust before me and worship me. Isn't that sad? This is what the devil craves. This is what the devil wants, to be worshipped. He wants the place that belongs to God alone, the adoration and worship that belong to God alone, and he wants it for himself. And when he tries to offer this to Jesus, this Esau deal, I'll give you all the goods of this world, and Jesus looks at him and is like, get out of here, be gone, get lost, Satan. Almost you could translate it to hell with you. To hell with you, Satan. Because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, the Lord your God, there he is standing in the flesh in front of them. Worship him only, not Satan. The devil, having been resisted three times, James says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Resist it three times, the devil ends up leaving him. He's endured the temptations all the way through to their bitter end. And on the other side, a different kind of angel, one of God's good angels, comes to him and begins ministering to him. All of them, the first one is kind of serve yourself. The second one is I'll offer you the best I have, 
But I still think Satan's lying there. He does not possess all the nations of the earth in their glory. Not really. Right. So he makes a false promise there. The third one, actually. That's the third one. Yeah. And the second one's the temple thing. Oh, that's right. So that third one seems just ludicrous that the devil would expect it to be successful. The devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows Jesus is God. The devil is, and we, you, you talked before about how he's swallowed all his own lives. To offer Jesus this, and the dismissal there is like, now you're just being ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is, this is Catechism 101. Have he, no other gods before me. He's just unmasked himself in a real way too. He's saying, you know, this is what the devil's after. He wants you to worship him. This fallen creature wants your adoration and worship. And he promises you, he'll give it to you by giving you the, it's the, the bargain of Faust, right? I'll give you good things in this life. Well, as, as we know that it was wasted on Christ, but it hasn't been wasted across the years, right? Many people have sort of gone along with the devil just to get a better life, a better deal here in this world, which is a real shame because you don't end up a winner in that game. He's a liar, he can't deliver to you the good things that he says he can give to you. He can show them to you, but they're all God's creations. He can't deliver them to you. And so to end up being uh, deceived by him in that way is really sad. You lose the good things in this world and you lose them for eternity. But Christ doesn't fall into it. He never could. It, it, it's like, no, this, this is not going to happen. Um, and so, like you said, he just dismisses him sends him away. It's like, you, you get out of here now. And of course, notice Satan doesn't have any choice once he's, once, once Jesus says, be gone, he has to leave. This is God speaking. And when God in the flesh commands Satan to go, just like when he commanded him to leave, whenever he was performing an exorcism, the same thing, he has to leave. Finally, with the minute, if you would give us a summary of this Sunday. Well, you know, is there a better summary for this Sunday than the hymn of the day, <laughs> which is a mighty fortress? And that's the beautiful comfort of this Sunday. In your Jesus, people loved by God, you have a strong and mighty fortress, a weapon with which you can go against the devil. And that word that you have from Jesus is a word that you can take and hurl Satan's way and he cannot stand before it. It's one of the most important things that Christians need to learn to do again is to do their battle with the word of God. It's not a question of willpower. The battle is never about how strong your willpower is. The battle is always about who are you going to believe, what God says or what Satan with his lies has suggested to your head. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, author of the book, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. He began a study on the book of James recently. Listen on demand at thewordendures.org, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, the LPR mobile app, or your podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Will, as always, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. When we come back, Pastor Sean Denzer is going to join us. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the other lectionary, the three-year lectionary, getting into the baptism, temptation, and ministry of Jesus. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, IssuesETC.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.